0: Hi, I'm Sabrina Soto. I believe the best conversations are with friends who are really able to open themselves up and share their lives, both the good parts and the bad. You're going to be listening to some of those candid conversations and hopefully gaining some insight to help you redesign your life from the inside out. On this episode of Redesigning Life, I have author Tosha Silver. I am a huge fan of hers. Her book, Outrageous Openness, really changed my life. It's about letting go. And I am someone who really is such a doer that I have forced so many things to happen in my life and this book just really opened my mind to surrendering. Her other book, Change Me Prayers, and her latest book, It's Not Your Money, just came out in paperback. So she's joining us today to just share all of her insight and how to really surrender to the universe in your own life. So here it goes. Hi, Tosha. First of all, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. I have so many questions for you um and just thank you for your books because they have completely changed my life.
1: Oh, I'm really glad. I'm so glad. So, um this will be fun.
0: Okay. So, I guess I want to start at being a doer, which is something that I've been all of my life. And yeah, when I when I read your book Outrageous Openness, the the thought of doing any more and pushing was just taken away. And since then, so many things have opened up for me. And for, for listeners who are also doers and feel like they have to push everything to manifest in your life, what is, um, an introductory way to sort of let that go? And how did you find that for yourself?
1: Um, well, I would say I found out for myself when I was about between 28 and 29 uh, my endocrine system failed and it happened because I had had that ferocious doing, doing this or however you want to call it, that sense of, I think I even say it in outrageous openness that when I was a teen, I actually had a sign over my bed that said, if you don't do it, it won't get done. And talk about Assigned sign for you know a little Capricorn child I mean there was just this feeling of the weight of the whole world was on me and I had to make it happen and that was mixed with it got even more exacerbated by the little bit of time I spent in my 20s in the new age world because this this work you probably have figured that out it's not new age work it's spiritual it doesn't have anything to do with manifesting anything you actually learn to soften and relax so that the flow of what wants to happen can start to happen through you instead of by you right and so for me you know by the time I was 28 and 29 i was such a doer and i was so eagerly trying to make endless numbers of things happen that my entire endocrine system failed and i actually had 3 years on my back and i write about it in the book and that really gives you a lot of time to rethink yes. <laughs> your approach to life right yeah. so yeah that's kind of that's kind of how it came and i think on a on a simple level you know people often find my books and find the work i do in general because you know i teach a an online forum that helps people learn how to live this way. They find it usually when they're so exhausted, it finds them.
0: That's because, That was the case in my life.
1: Right? It's like, it doesn't, you can't drag somebody to this because before they're ready for it, they listen and they're like, wow, that sounds like that might be really passive. Or, you know, I have a lot of things I want to make happen. And it takes a while to understand that this isn't passivity in the least. It simply means you become a bit like an animal in the sense that, like, a tiger knows when to leap and a tiger knows when to be very still and quiet and not waste its energy. Right. And you really start to have the instincts do that guidance. So I just think people come to it when they're ready. I'm also a Capricorn. And oh, what <laughs> day are you? Uh,
0: December 27th.
1: Wow. Yeah
0: it's uh it's a lot being a capricorn so you i mean i just this this book spoke to me because i realize how much i've been choking my life instead of just allowing you you wrote um, yes. uh about watering you can't water the roses if you're stepping on the garden hose <laughs> it's like i've literally been holding the garden hose with a kink in it my whole life i feel like yes you also talk yes. about the law and i'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this but the law of pr uh, pra-ra- prarabda? Yes, Parabdha Karma. So what's the difference between the law of attraction and the law of, pra-
1: how do you say it again? Um, Parabdha Karma. Parabdha Karma. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, It's, well, there, see to me, part of what happened when things like The Secret came out or any any of its endless imitators was that, the law of attraction is true. I mean, you know, the, all the different kinds of teachings that reference it. And it's true in the sense that what vibration you hold has a big impact on what occurs. And that if your energy is endlessly negative or angry or resentful, you will absolutely affect what you draw towards yourself. The problem with that understanding of how many of the books presented it, is it's only one piece of the puzzle. And because, to me, we live in a culture that is so mired in black and white dualistic thinking it simply presented the law of attraction as if this is this is the one law that's ruling the universe and if you're not getting every dream and every wish you're just not working hard enough or you're not a good manifester or you need to try harder or maybe you're blocking it and in that sense you should be blamed or do a hundred more coaching sessions it was all based in this idea that that was the one prevailing law when in fact there's numerous other laws and to me the most interesting other law is the law of Parabdha Karma, which basically says every chart, every individual soul, I think of it as a chart just because I practiced astrology for so many years, every individual soul has a curriculum that it's here to learn. And that is the Parabdha Karma. So that has to be held with equal weight, like if you hold your hands open and you think, yeah, you know, this isn't to dispute the law of attraction. You know, everyone knows that when you start to think in a more positive way, you affect things. But if you don't hold that like a balance with this law that says the soul truly came with a curriculum that it wanted to learn, you don't have you have a lot of delusion is what you have. You have a lot of exhaustion, a lot of self-blame, a lot of delusion, because, for example, let me just take a simple example, uh, people often use the law of attraction to try to manifest a partner. And, you know, I know that at one point, what was it, there was a course out there called Get Your Soulmate in 30 Days. Right. And, you know, and people were coming to the forum that I run that is this kind of work, and saying, you know, I tried it. And the four, you know, the somebody came in 30 days, but it sure wasn't the soulmate. And then I had to try to figure out how to get rid of them. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like you can't force the universe in that way, using it as a pure law of attraction thing, because things happen according to the divine will. And according to that parabdha karma, because let's say on that topic, what if your somebody was certainly true for me, I needed, I had about seven years that I just needed to be alone. No matter how I tried, the universe was like, wow, you have Libra rising. You have to learn to be by yourself. So, no amount of pushing, manifesting, vision boards, that was not because what have come out of the Parabdha Karma was that for many, many lives, perhaps, I had always just focused on, get me that person or get me that thing that'll make me feel safe. And this was a life that said, we're done. This life, you're going to become whole, and you're going to know how to listen to the divine on the inside, and no person on the outside is going to get used to make you feel more whole. Right. So if that was the curriculum that my soul wanted to learn no amount of the law of attraction was going to change that. I found that the law of Prabhupada karma often trumps the law of attraction because the soul has longings to evolve. And especially, I think so many of the kinds of people, it's probably true of you, who learn this sort of work and find my books, you're old souls. You're souls that aren't just here to try to Get every wish, except perhaps the wish of freedom and wholeness. That's At right. some point, you want the peace.
0: And the only—it's funny because I used to be very um, strict about the, straw, the law of attraction, and if anything negative happened, I'd beat myself up. Yes, and I realize yep. now in pain in the pain that has brought has been brought to my life, or I, I, I guess attracted in my life has brought
1: so much more growth.
0: Yes, yes. yes. And it, it only came from the pain. And if the pain wasn't there, I wouldn't be where I am now.
1: Yes, it's it's so beautiful that you're saying that because it's, it's such a limited, limited way of viewing reality. This idea that if pain or suffering is occurring, you must have done something wrong or you need to clear your blocks. When in fact, just as you say, you could have peropter karma that has said whatever it takes no matter what suffering i need to go through for example back to that say relationship topic i'm going to learn how to become whole right and so that took you know i had 4 years of lots of crying because i had always used a partner almost like a drug
0: yes and oh. i had a- To withdraw, I need to give you a high five right now. (laughs) I just—I'm 43 years old. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I just finally now realize I've been trying to fill this void in other people, places, and things. When the person abandoning me is me.
1: Yes, that's it. That's it. And you know, I don't. If anyone's hearing this that feels that, you can't even blame yourself. It's a culture of so much addiction that's simply inbred, especially to women. And so, or I'd say anybody of any gender who has a lot of Libra, I should say that too. But yeah, it's really something when you wake up from that and then, you know, if you want it, if it's meant to happen, I'm in a partnership now, but there isn't that sense of being completed by anybody. It's just an enjoyable other thing happening in my life as opposed to you're an ex heroin fix. That's right. It's a supplement to your life instead of it being your life. Exactly. Exactly. So you might have had that same prarabdha karma that said, "Oh, I'm, honey, I'm waking up from this trance, this life." And if that's the case, that decision on the soul level becomes far more imperative than sitting around with a vision board, staring at what you're manifesting next. Right. I, I just don't even judge it because. It it's so inbred in how we're taught to think, and you can probably feel it in yourself as you're stepping into that energy of feeling that wholeness, with or without it. That's what starts to happen. Right. With or without it, then you start to feel the freedom. I don't know if you are familiar.
0: You um, read Abraham Hicks, but uh, one of the things that they say is you don't have to necessarily know how to drive a car, but you still enjoy the car. I know I don't necessarily right. have to know why this works, but if you can ha- give me any guidance or um, education on w- why this happens, how does it energetically work that when you finally let go, things start coming into your life, whether it's money, relationships, whatever mm. it is, Why? how does
1: that work? Well, you know, I, I had it explained to me once. I think there's a lot of different ways to explain it, but one way I like is that, if you were sitting quietly and you saw a feather coming down on an airwave and you started reaching for it frantically, your own push and reach would push it away. Whereas if you sat there and you opened to receive, it would fall to you. It would come to you. And so I think One of the explanations that I really relate to is that, and this really happens when you get to the book, It's Not Your Money, there's so much in it about learning to receive. And what I've found in teaching this work is that there's lots of people focused on what am I going to get next and how am I going to make it happen? But really what's underneath that is often a sense that they don't deserve to receive they're terrified what are they going to do if they don't get it or even more if they do get it what if they lose it right because all of it is born from the grasping of the ego and there's there's a beautiful term um in sanskrit called a paragraha and a paragraha means non-grasping it's where the hands move from being a fist that's just grabbing at things like a toddler might and it moves into the receptivity of being open to receive and I think once you're starting to do that and all the books but especially the money book really really teaches that but once you're starting to do it I think it creates a spaciousness and in that spaciousness what wants to come can come and without that spaciousness, there isn't even room for the birth to occur.
0: Right. You spoke about in It's Not Your Money, about the homeless man who said he owed you $10. Yeah. Uh, and it's when you were outside of the Papusa place. And that—that that is my life. I give, I've constantly have always given, and I yes. have a really difficult time receiving. And and I know there are a lot of my friends who feel the same way and a lot of people who, who write in from the podcast. What's a good way to sort of start practicing the art
1: of receiving? You know, there's a big part of It's Not Your Money about that. And some of it, there's many different ways to do it. But one of the easiest way is to simply begin to change the language that says it's easy for me to receive. Because It's the reinforcement over and over of that language that, you know, people will just say straight up, I'm not, I'm not a receiver. I'm a giver. I've always been a giver. And I'll just start to say, listen, at least say you used to be a giver. You used to only be a giver because it's a very one dimensional way to live. And it's not a lot of fun.
0: Right. And the fun really, there's, there's no like bloating or like being proud about it, which is I've been all my life. And now I'm
1: like, I'm almost embarrassed of it well i think that it's it comes perhaps out of a certain puritanical thinking you know that it's better to give than receive and all of that but if you're thinking of everything regardless of anyone's gender we're all a mix of the masculine and the feminine period and 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 that we're all a mix of giving and receiving if we had been raised in a way that honored both modalities so to me you know, releasing the shame of it and simply saying, none of this, you you can't be blamed for any of this. It's a culture that's so lopsided on so many topics. Thank God you're now getting an opportunity for a whole new start where you can say, I deserve to receive. And there's uh, something in the book called the Full Abundance Change Me Prayer, That a lot of people do that prayer for 21 days. Some people do it for months on end because it teaches your system how to receive.
0: Yeah, it's, I've, I think I had Instagrammed you a few months ago. I've never, ever in my life, and I read a lot of books, have taken so many pictures and highlighted so many (laughs) parts of books. I, my, your first book I got on my Kindle and I would take pictures on my, my phone of the Kindle. And I just said, finally, I have to get the, an actual copy to, you know, make my little post-its. And and that yeah. big prayer is now on, you know, I, I printed it out. I take it, taken a copy so that I can do it every day. And what I love about that book are the prayers, but even your other book, it's right here, Change change Me Prayers is chock full of great, it's almost like affirmations for people that, and, and I love that in the back, you have it almost categorized from what you need.
1: Yes. Well, I think it's, Again, to go back to where we started of this idea of doership, you know, I always laugh when these books end up in the self-help section of Amazon or stores, because they're not self-help. They're God takes the heck over, like love yeah. takes over. And it's a very different modality. If you look at most self-help books, again, not to cast aspersions at them, it's just a certain way of approaching life is like work harder do more take yourself on like a full-time project until you're so exhausted you're ready to jump off a bridge and maybe you'll perfect yourself enough that you can get what you want this is a very different focus this says if you do these prayers that you're 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 soliciting this force of love to begin to dissolve what is in you that's in the way of your evolution it's like a reprogramming you know, the prayers
0: are reprogramming
1: they are and they're they're really i would say it's it, it's an invitation to love it's it's it it takes it so far beyond just oh i'm going to say i'm going to plug in this affirmation to get this result these are actually prayers to invite the great self to take over the life And the great self, not as something external out there to be begged, but the great self that lives within each of us that is usually ignored or pushed to the side, that through the prayers, that force of great love starts to take over. Right.
0: There's also a few other places in outrageous openness when you were Speaking of this woman who was going through a breakup, um, and she just couldn't get her to, through to her divorce, and you get, told her to take a bath and to burn the letter. Oh yeah! I by the way, uh, it works because <laughs> it does work. <laughs> it, it really works. I, another picture I took, and I was like, "Oh, Epsom salts, here I come!" But I, oh. well, how, how do, do those things? Like how. Does that work? Like what's the science or the meaning behind those sort of rituals with the coconut and all the other things that you sometimes talk about in in your stories?
1: Well, you know, I think one of the sad things is just simply that we live in a culture without ritual. Unless, you know, you want to call like watching the Oscars or <laughs> going to the Super Bowl a ritual. It's like, you know, we don't I think that, you know, in other lifetimes perhaps we lived in cultures that had these profound rituals that marked how to end things energetically, how to open to the new, how to release what you don't need. And so I think that there's a reason that religions have often had their own rituals and that there's also a way to personalize that with this kind of work. So, you know, the example you're using, uh, you know, this person, she just couldn't get over this really toxic, painful relationship that she had to get out of. This often happens to people. And so she, you know, I'll often say to people, take, take some pages of paper and just start writing. Get everything out. You know, this isn't about spiritual bypassing and not feeling your feelings. Just dump it all out, even if it takes 20 pages. Write and write until it's all out. Say everything you have to say about it even your disappointment, even your fears, all of it, and then burn the pages. And imagine as you're burning them, that you're offering them to this force of love. And you're saying, free me now from the chains of this relationship because they're, it's literally like psychic chains. And then, you know, it goes from there into the other steps of, of it. But a, a lot of these, I'm not putting the rituals out as, I've figured out the key way you must do this or it won't work. I'm saying, here's how I've done it. Create your own ways to what matters is the offering to the divine. Because if you want to get out of the prison of doership, it's the solicitation of this great force of love to take over that starts to break the chains of the ego running everything.
0: That's right. Right. You mentioned psychic chains. You also mentioned in the book Psychic Vampires. Can you explain yes. <laughs> Can you explain that to listeners that've never heard about psychic vampires?
1: Well, I would say it gets used a lot of different ways, um but in that book I meant it as you know, I just think that there are people and sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's not who literally They get their chi, they get their shakti, their prana, whatever word you want to use from others because they don't know how to get it on the inside. And that's certainly true with narcissists, or, you know, there's so many different versions of this. And sometimes what happens, you know, there's, let's use the example of a narcissist, there's a dance, say, between a narcissist and an empath. And a lot of people that find my work have that really sensitive empathic nature very kind-hearted they are givers they you know want to help and then all of a sudden here's this vampire narcissist coming along going wow you are a tasty treat you know I'm going to be able to just suck everything out of you because I see your kind heart and so there's a lot of tools uh, in the books about how to Really create the boundaries and remove the psychic cords and, you know, really shift the balance of power to not be at the mercy of those energies. Right. There's very, very clear ways to do it. I
0: love that it wasn't about right, because I think sometimes when people are on a spiritual path, and I'm I'm using quotes, but you can't see me doing that, (laughs) that they think that they have to allow everybody in their life, and that's not true. It's, It's okay to choose you and choose to not engage in toxic patterns.
1: In fact, you know, I mean, I think there's a reason that the Buddhists call something idiot compassion at times because it's a to me it's a false sense of compassion. Sometimes when somebody has... A very, very toxic pattern. And then you play into it out of a sense of misguided, well, I'm a nice person. I hate to stop them. You're just encouraging them to do this terrible pattern with other people. Right. So sometimes the most compassionate thing is standing in the truth and saying, I'm not available for this. Right. Or at the very least, becoming unavailable, whether you say it or not. Because sometimes the person isn't willing to hear it, but you're still, there's tools for how to disengage your energy.
0: I remember, and I'm going to butcher it, the prayer, but it was something like a divine spirit, like, lead me the way. And if I'm starting to do something and it's not right, show me that as well. And that, I love that because you, you, you. It's just
1: asking them, like, "Hey, I
0: might be making mistakes, but detour up me."
1: You know, I really love that because I mean, there's a lot of different ways to say that prayer, but one way I say it is, I'll just say, "If I'm headed in the wrong direction, stop me now. Just stop me now." And uh, I had it happen myself last week. My my partner and I have been looking for a new home, and a place had come, and I could just feel it. It it wasn't. It just it wasn't right. And he was like, pushing me like, Oh, come on. I'm tired of looking like, let's do it. Let's go for it. And I prayed inside. And I just said, you know, this doesn't feel right. But you know, it, it just stop me before I go any farther. And at that moment, a car cut in front of me. And the license plate said, to hasty, the number two, Wow. and then hasty. And I knew it was like, no, the right place doesn't come by talking your way into it or just forcing it because you're tired of waiting. It comes because it's right. And then you feel it like a, like a thud in your body, you know, when something lands, Yes. Yeah. it just lands. So yeah, those, I love those signs. And I, was, I'm also realizing
0: with this work, how your body really speaks to you if you're with someone and you, you know, maybe it's a toxic relationship, you will find that you have stomach aches or anxiety or chest pains. And it, no, it's not because you ate too much soy. It's because this person, you have to pay attention to those. And there are signs everywhere.
1: Yes. And sometimes the sign is that you don't always know when you're around them, what you're feeling. I think it, there's a story in outrageous openness about that. You can be around the person and they can be sort of charming and you're like, Oh, I'm having fun with them. And then when you leave them, you are exhausted. Yes. You are so exhausted. And you start to realize, oh, I was just in a really toxic thing and I didn't even know because it was kind of fun. But they took all of your energy.
0: And I also love that you said earlier in our conversation that it's not some of these people aren't quote unquote, bad people. Some people do unconsciously and it's not, it's not a label. We constantly, and and I think these days, everybody's a narcissist. You know, every YouTube video is about a narcissist and 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 it's just our way of feeling better and our ego's way of feeling better about ourselves to call somebody else something. But we we all have narcissistic tendencies, but yeah, some people, it doesn't, just because they're toxic for you doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just not good. It's not a good match for you.
1: That's very true. And and sometimes it's it's very unconscious. The the real thing that it it almost starts to become second nature as you do this kind of work is you start to feel an anchoring on the inside to yourself that's independent of who you're around. Yes. Yes. And that's the beginning of one of the biggest changes in a life.
0: Yes, and that's because of your book. I am telling you, I have read a lot of books. I read constantly. Your book made me, for the first time, feel so independent of other people's BS. You know, and I see it now without judgment. If I see somebody acting not kind, I don't. I don't bring it upon to be my problem because it's not personal. Right.
1: Right. Right. And and it's funny. I think it comes partly out of this connection to this inner love starts to grow. I also think it comes out of the connection to the inner child starts to grow. Oh, that's gonna take another forty five minutes, Tosha.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna to have to do a podcast just on inner child with you because it's another thing that's very prevalent in my life now. Um, but yes, doing the inner child work, it it is it's life changing
1: seriously because if you think again going back to the culture this isn't anything to people to blame themselves about we live in a culture that doesn't really teach us how to care for that young part on the inside so for many people even you know somebody could be running her own business and yet every day the one running the business is actually her inner child it's not the adult it's this sort of terrified four-year-old who's just Winging it, hoping for the best. So, a lot of, especially the money book, really emphasis. It really takes you through the steps of how to build a relationship to that inner kid. It's, your, it's one, your
0: week five, the forgotten inner child. It's week,
1: exactly, and I think for many people, once they get, they get to week five, and if they really dive in something very, very dramatic happens because all of a sudden I start getting these letters and they say, oh my God, like all this time it's been my five-year-old who's been in my relationship and no wonder it hasn't been working because I've been mad that this person isn't taking care of my five-year-old. That's my job. That's right. What am am I expecting an adult partner to do that for?
0: I... I'm, yeah, I'm speechless because that is that is so spot on and so um, just something, a lesson that I've learned now. And you know what I started realizing, and another embarrassing thing I'm going to admit, is I realized when I would get into arguments with my past partners, I would turn into that 14-year-old girl. Absolutely. And my voice would actually change sometimes, like higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's bizarre, but yes, that's your week five. And I love that there's a whole chapter that's you guys for listening. It's the, her book, it's not your money, but don't just buy that book. You have to buy them all. You, I mean, it's, I'm
1: <laughs> just saying, um, and then what they about, do, they do, they do build on each other. So they I do. have to say it, I think it does help when people read one of them first, they kind of have more context when they get to, it's not your money.
0: Then, uh, and now when it comes to money, would you consider money just being energy
1: um, uh, sure, why not? You know, I mean what's funny is that that book is about so much more than money. It is that one of the most consistent things people write me is they go like, why did you title it that? Because really, once you get through the book, you start to realize it's not your relationship, it's not your job, it's not your life like you you start to come from this expansive place of realizing that your life is an offering to love and then once that starts to happen all these doors start opening because i think the way we're taught to think is very utilitarian and this comes out of a certain kind of new age thinking the universe is there to sort of be like that costco that you place your order and get what you want back right and that is a you know, it's not an evil way to live, but it's a very limited way to live because the ego's in charge placing its orders. When that gets turned upside down, which is what happens through these books, and you start to say, I don't want to just use the universe to try to get shit. What I actually want to do is let the universe use me right? I, for the, as a force of good. That's right. Once you start to say that, like all bets are off. Because you're no longer in the confines of the ego's agenda. I think if you reprint
0: this book, you should name it It's Not Your Money and It's Not Just About Money because the book is oh, God, about great, so much more. So that much is more. A great idea. Have you noticed that a, a lot of your ex or clients or people that are doing your program online feel like they are? can manifest or attract more in one category of their life, but not another? For, for instance, they are they have got lots of money, but their relationships are in the pits.
1: Well, I'll tell you what really happens, like that, the the forum, the, the group where I do most of teaching, it's called the Living Outrageous Openness Forum. I would say what has really happened there, it's been running almost six years now. And people, you know, they come, they come, they go, sometimes they're there for a year, then they take a break, then they come back. What I think mostly starts to happen over time is they s- step into that understanding that they're not trying to manifest anything, that they're, I, I guess I want to say they're being manifested through. Right. That what what needs to come starts to come. So I think on one level, you're right in the sense that You know, depending maybe on somebody's chart or their background, for some people money is an easy topic, for somebody else it's relationship. But something much bigger than that starts to occur, which is that this quality called divine source starts to take over. And divine source is that thing you mentioned earlier, that no person, place, or thing is actually your salvation. It's this large love this force of love actually knows once it's solicited and invited to take over it knows what to bring and when and how and so that burden of the doership that says i have to be the one to make this or that happen i i'm watching that fall away in these in so many people over time as we do this work it's like watching this, like you're carrying a million pounds of, oh my God. And, yep. you know, it, it all just starts to fall away.
0: That's how, that's how I started with it. when we spoke. I feel after I read your book that a weight was completely lifted off of me. Um, yes. Tosha, one last question. I, I just personally want to know, how often do you meditate?
1: You know, I would say Every day, something occurs that is meditation, but my definition of what meditation is has expanded and changed so hugely over the years of doing this work because I no longer think of it as, oh, here's this 30 minutes where you sit and only look at your mind. I think of it now as all day long the the sense like you know there's a line from Eckhart Tolle that says you know like something changes dramatically when you realize that you are not your thoughts like for a long time you just believe this voice that keeps going on in your head and you keep trying to improve it or change it or whatever and then something happens and you start to go oh that's just the voice but that's not you right and once you start to know that which is also a part of the books then meditation is, is anything. You can be walking down the street and it's meditation because you're not lost in the trance of believing that you are your thoughts. Right. So I would say it's at this point a fluid. (laughs) You're you're meditating right now. (laughs) I think any, I think anybody could, I think at any moment When you're no longer thinking, I am these thoughts, I am these beliefs, I am this, I am that, and you're stepping more into that feeling of the witness, the inner divine being the one who's letting everything unfold, then you're meditating.
0: Tosha, thank you so much. Thank you for just sharing these messages because it's changed my life.
1: I'm I'm really so happy. I don't know if it's the Capricorn in you or what, but I feel a lot of connection to what you're talking about. So I know you'll probably help a lot of people with this. And I know, I know
0: so. And I uh, for anyone listening in the notes section of this podcast, her ev- the forum information will be there and uh, a link to all of the books, especially the one we're talking about now, which is "It's Not Your Money."
1: And it's not only about money. If we reprint it, that is such a good idea. And I'll give you credit. (laughs)
0: Oh, no, no need. Thank you, Tosha. I really appreciate it.